Hello and welcome to another episode of Speed Mentorship. My name is Matt Mackler, your host. Here in Speed Mentorship, our purpose is to help you be a leader that others want to follow, help you take your leadership to the next level. We're going to do that by interviewing top performers who are world-class at what they do. We're going to ask them tough and challenging questions to see what sets them apart and makes them successful. We know your time is valuable. We're going to keep each episode to 15 to 30 minutes and make sure it's action-packed full of rich content. We want to make sure that we're adding value to you. And if this is something that you do find value in, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. That would help us out tremendously. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. And to really kick off this second segment is, I think we really have to start with defining what is a successful organization. There's different definitions out there, but I would love, Kim, to hear your definition of what a successful organization is. Yeah, to me, a successful organization is number one, innovative. It's a business leader. It's an industry leader. Uh, It brings out the best in their employees, their colleagues at the end of the day. It's, it's a workforce that is happy, and it's also an organization that embraces collaboration. Uh, the organization's diverse, talented, engaged, and passionate. I can tell walking through a facility whether or not it's a successful organization or not, just through a walkthrough. Uh, too often, a business leader met, and I'm not saying this is you, but too often business leaders sit in their office all day. It happens outside of the office. So creating that culture, creating that environment, I can tell, for me, that's a successful, where everybody's treated fairly, everybody's needs are being met. And quite frankly, when all of that happens, you have a low turnover rate. Employees stay. And nothing's more important in today's marketplace than retaining the talent you have. For sure. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question. Very solid. Very solid. Um, you know, so we have a successful organization and then, you know, everybody faces challenges in their career, in their organization. What are some challenges that you faced, you know, in, in, in your career or the businesses that you run and how have you yeah. overcome some of And I've talked about a couple of them. One was the pricing compression and trying to keep the business profitable yeah. and healthy while trying to grow the business. And uh, we, there's a cycle in every business. And, and quite frankly, every business is going to go through that cycle. So when I started Talent Track, it was in the infancy stage of that industry. Recruitment process outsourcing was new. Five years later, it was a very mature industry. The big players have gotten into it. Billion dollar companies who had a lot more dollars and resources than I did. So th- there's a movie that I uh, used to quote all the time. Um, trying to remember the name of the movie. But anyway, it talked about if you're small, you're mobile and nimble. And you steal the assets from others. And uh, that's what we tried to do. Tried to look at what they were doing and try to replicate it in my environment. Uh, I also mentioned to you the other big challenge I had. Do I leave corporate America? That was a scary proposition. The good news for me, I had a very supportive spouse who believed in me, who trusted me, you know, because we put everything at risk. You know, here I built this big income, lifestyle, company car, you name it. And suddenly I'm putting a lot of money into a business. 
taking a lot less money out of the business, yeah. having cash calls in the beginning because you have to keep that business funded. Yep. Like Talent Track, we had 300 employees. AIM Executive, 28 office locations. Now, Dream Jobs was smaller, only about 35 people. But, but again, we funded all of that. And, you, you know, reputation's everything. So well, the last thing you can do is go out and oversell and underdeliver. And that's what you do with a startup. You, if, if you try to get out there prematurely too quick, you're not going to be able to deliver the service that you sold. Sure. So then what do you do? You build it first. Well, there's a cost to build something without revenue coming yeah. in. <laughs> and somebody has to fund it. And unfortunately or unfortunately, that was me. And so, you know, so those are the challenges you have. I don't, you know, I, I don't know who your audience is, whether it's uh, an entrepreneur, a CEO, or your audience is a young person thinking about starting their career and, sure. and developing and growing, but they're going to be confronted with all those difficult decisions at the end of the day. I will tell them there is no perfect answer. There's no right or wrong. Some decisions are better than others. I mean, I've made mistakes and I've recovered from those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's good. And I think, I think even having like the mindset, the perspective that you have to look at a lot of these challenges as opportunities, I think is something that is unique as well. And not to just let those challenges that you face kind of weigh on you and, oh, there's nothing I can do about it, you know? I do like that phrase, Matt. Challenges are windows of opportunities. And it depends how you react to those opportunities at the end of the day. I, I, can, I can tell you, I, was, I, I came up for an engineering manager job when I was at JT. And I told you I'm a non-degreed engineer. And I was competing with two people that were degreed engineers. I got the job. And they were so upset and disappointed they couldn't understand it. But I never treated my job from eight to five. I took on special projects. I'd stay beyond the end of the day if the job required it. I made the investments. They did not. The best things in life come at a price. They come yeah. at a personal sacrifice. For sure. Which I think is a great tie-in to this this next question, which has to do with kind of work-life balance and the best way to kind of manage this. And I know there's a lot of different thought processes of this. And you and I were talking earlier about you know the effects of personal life on business life and all these different things. But you know, how do you you know how do you best navigate work and personal life and try and manage that in the best way possible? I think it's it's unique and different by person. I think you're better at it than I am. I mean, you and I, I honestly do, Matt. I mean, you and I have spent some time one-on-one. -on -one. I honestly think you're better. I tend to be a workaholic. I do. I know it. My family knows it. You know, I invest a lot of time and energy into work. It gives me great pleasure at the end of the day. Remember I told you earlier, you can't make somebody else happy if you're not happy. Working makes me happy. My family knows it and they've learned to live with it. I, we're into quality and not quantity. I mean, we try to do special things together. I never miss a special event, like when my daughters were going through honor society or getting academic awards yeah. or extracurricular activities, sports. I even was, uh, when the kids were younger, I was their basketball and soccer coach. I mean, I tried to invest the time and do it with quality, not quantity. I mean, we tried to do uh, special things like out of the blue, take a special trip to Chicago 
and shop on Michigan Avenue as a surprise, or me take a Friday afternoon off and go to the Toledo Zoo. I mean, so I try, and also when I was with them in, in the family side, I was present. I tried to tune out work. You, you can't do both things. Try to be present for them and make it, make that time important and special. And then I have hobbies. I mean, I told you I like to play pickleball. You're a pickleball champ. So. And I play three times a week. I love to lift weights. And when possible, I try to go to the gym at three o'clock in the afternoon when work permits. Uh, I uh, like to ride bikes. I like to go on walks with my wife. So uh, I do try to do some of that other stuff that gets me away from work. But at the end of the day, I spend a lot of time at work. And I know it. I, there are a lot of people better at it. And quite frankly, when I'm coaching colleagues and other leaders, I tell them not to use me as an example. Well, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your thought process there. That's very... That's, I think it's very insightful in, in a lot of different in a lot of different ways. So appreciate that. This next question, I think, is uh, I'm really you know actually these next couple questions, I'm really interested to especially with your background and everything else, and your experience to really see your perspective on a lot of this stuff. But you know, the first one is what is the best way to attract talented people to an organization? So to qualify my response. I do, I am recognized as a thought leader and subject matter expert in talent acquisition. So it's, a, it's an area that I know well, that's where I've spent the vast majority of my career. Uh, I tell companies, the first thing is, they need to know what a good person looks like. You have employees today, what's, what's a good person here look like by skill set? And how are you trying to build that into your recruiting effort? Secondly, I tell companies to hire for fit and train for skill. Too often, everybody's screaming for experience and skill. They forget about the most important piece. Are they gonna fit the environment? Uh, most new hires leave in the first six months. Why? Because they don't fit the environment. They don't fit the job. You know, what you told them the environment was gonna be like is very different than what the real environment's like. Uh, I, I, I think some of your best sources of hires are employee referrals. If your employees are referring candidates because they believe in the business and yeah. you, they're going to be some of the great, the best sources for great hires. Yeah. Uh, I also believe in creating realistic day in the life job videos and having testimonials on your website and incorporate that into your social media recruiting effort. Uh, have a, also, this is the part that probably most employers forget. Having a candidate-friendly employment process. Courting the candidate as much as you're screening the candidate. Sure. Making them feel important. Making, you know, knowing your company. Not speaking in a monotone voice. Speaking with passion and enthusiasm about the business. Letting them meet some of the other people that they've worked with. So that they can so, really yeah, see what that environment's not like. Not making them jump through 20 hoops to try and get in to get a... Well, you know, speed is important, especially yeah. in today's market. If you aren't able to make quick decisions, I tell my clients all the time, great candidates have options. You're not the only option. And if you don't make timely decisions, guess what? That sends a bad message yeah. that you're not sure they're the right candidate. Mm -hmm. 
And guess what? They're off to the next opportunity. Especially right now, right? Especially. So having a, a mobile-ready, candidate-friendly application process, yeah. having an employment process that is efficient and friendly as well, yeah. all important. Onboarding a candidate is equally important. If you don't onboard them right mm -hmm. that first day in the job, guess what? They can be gone. Yeah. You kind of touched on this um, a little bit, you know, just as far as characteristics to look for in employees. But is there anything else you wanted to add on, you know, when you are looking for somebody, when you want to make sure they're fit for the organization? Are there any other characteristics that you're, you know, that we should be looking for in employees or is it kind of different from company? To company? No, I, I think there's consistency. So, number one, how prepared are they for the interview? Number two. They should be talking half the time. You should be talking half. So how prepared are they with questions? Mm -hmm. How much investment have they made about your business before they get to the interview? Yeah. So how much research have they done on you? How much research have they done on the business, yes. et cetera? And then last but not least, probably the most important piece is passion. Mm -hmm. Are they coming with passion at the end of the day? They're, if they're just going through the process or... Also, when you get to the offer stage, they start nitpicking and they start trying to negotiate a bunch of different, that's in, they're taking the job for all the wrong reasons. And I tell people not to do it. The same thing's true if you have an employee that's gonna leave and they're important to you, they're valuable to you. Do you make a counter or not? I coach my clients all the time not to make counter offers. They're gonna leave anyway. They're not just leaving for money. The, the reason they're leaving still exists. So if you make a counter, that fix the money piece for three months, four months. They're going to leave anyway. Now, maybe you want those three or four months to backfill the job, but also people talk. So if you make a counter offer to a person in the job, guess what? That information is going to get out, and that's going to solicit more, more people, more people asking, like, wanting counter offer. So yeah. I tell people, I tell business owners not to do it. Uh, which is a great segue to kind of the last question on that piece, which is when is it time to, you know, say sayonara, hey, it's not working out for certain employees. What does that look like? And, um, and, and I think there's probably a range. You probably have, you know, some employees that are coming in off the ground floor and you might make a different decision for those employees than you would make for people who've been at the company for 10, 15 years. And what, yeah, what within, within reason, you and I have talked about this and we've had examples. Wrong person, wrong job. Absolutely, <laughs> they have to go. <laughs> I don't care if they've been here six months or they've been here 10 years. Yeah. Wrong, and, and guess what? People that have created great value to your business four and five years ago, but the job has changed, the business has changed, and they haven't changed with the business, True. you still got to make that tough, hard decision. Yep. You have to do it. Second thing is if they're a cancer. I've had people that were great producers, but were cancers in my environment. And so I've made that tough decision that they had to go, even though it was going to have an impact on productivity short term. They were going to destroy the environment at the end of the day, and that was too important. Uh, I always allow people to leave with dignity and grace yeah. and I try to help them transition out of the company and into something else. Yeah. So I provide that support, but too, I see too many leaders avoid making those difficult decisions. Tough decisions. And then they 
reap the consequences of it for uh, however long they keep well, them. In well, you're not doing a favor to that person because they're not happy either. Yeah. You're not doing a favor to the people that work around that person. Yeah. Certainly not doing a favor to the business and you're not doing a favor to yourself. Yeah. And quite frankly, you know, you talked about challenges being windows of, it's a window of opportunity, not just for you, but for the person you're displacing. Sure. It'll finally get them to do, go do something that's going to give them greater pleasure. That's good. That's good. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to tie this in. Um, but I just want to hear, you know, your specific um, opinion and approach on what a good culture looks like and how to uh, how to maintain a good culture, how to have a good culture. I mean, you and I have talked about your companies in the past, and uh, I think you've done a phenomenal job at, uh, at inspiring the employees and having such a great culture at all your different organizations. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you, what is, what is a healthy culture? What is a good culture? And how do you make that happen? One, it starts with the leader. The leader walks around. The leader sets the example. I used, I used to have a, a CEO 20 years ago that defined a great leader as uh, where the colleagues will take a bullet for the leader. I came back to that person five, 10 years later and said, you only got it partially right. My definition of a great leader is when the leader will take a bullet for his employees. Because if you'll take a bullet for your employees, guess what? They will follow you anywhere. So I think the leader sets the example. That's, There's a difference really between a leader and a manager. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you know, you have vision, you have value propositions, but do you live them? Do you breathe them? You can have stuff on the wall, but is that really the environment you've created? Yeah. So you walk around. I can. I told you earlier. I can tell if the culture's a happy culture or not just by are, are the people friendly. Will they talk to me? Yeah. Do they smile? Do they look passionate about their job? So how do you do that? Well, you hire great people, and you hire great leaders that emulate you at the end of the day. You know if. The worst thing that can happen is you hire some very effective people that have great experience, but their style doesn't fit your style. And now you're sending mixed messages back to the environment. And when you send those mixed messages back, your employees get confused. Yeah. You say, oh, we're warm and fuzzy, but that's not how this particular leader's behaving. Yeah. So you want consistency. Um, I would say... How do you build it? I have always created a family environment. I've always been approachable. I've always made sure my leaders were approachable. People could talk about anything and everything. How do I determine whether or not we're achieving results? I, I believe in employee satisfaction surveys and I do them twice a year. Yeah. And, and I try to make them anonymous and have people feel friendly and comfortable in providing honest feedback. Absolutely. Uh, I also look at that feedback from my clients. My clients who are interfacing with my employees at the end of the day. Okay. What's their experience like? And secondly, I wanna make sure that the clients that I have emulate my environment. I don't wanna do business with just anybody. Mm -hmm. If they don't represent what we represent at the end of the day, I don't wanna do business with them. Sure. It's not gonna be fun. So I don't know if that helps. There's yeah. not a magic wand, but I do think you have to be consistent in your messaging. You have to treat people fairly. 
you have to be open, you have to develop employees. People need opportunities at the end yeah. of the day. I mean, it's a, it's I mean, it's things that I don't want to say are common sense because some of them some of them aren't, but you know, I, I feel like it's tough to do. I, I've seen a lot of kind of leaders get in their own way of doing some of this stuff because of ego or pride or some of these other things. And so like you said, kind of a leader sets the tone and you know, they got their own baggage that they haven't dealt with or insecurities that they haven't dealt with. And now everybody else in the whole organization is feeling that. I, I like that term because we all have baggage. The difference is with your employees, you know, the baggage they have. Yeah. New person coming in, they have baggage. You just don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. So we all have baggage. And if you have people that are not conforming, that are leaders in your organization, you need to take corrective action. Yeah. And then if they can't conform, yes. they don't. The inconsistent messages are being delivered. It's not representing the business the way you want it represented. Yeah. Then you're going to make tough, hard decisions. That's good. So if culture starts with the leader and the leader kind of permeates that culture down to their direct reports, which then kind of go down throughout the entire organization, what does the cadence and the direct report um, conversation look like? How often do you meet with direct reports? What, what does that um, relationship look like to make sure that the, the top level leader uh, and the direct reports are, are in sync and have a good relationship? So I hate annual, business, annual performance reviews. Yeah. Because what happens with annual performance reviews, you're evaluating and talking to that person once per year. Once per year. And quite frankly, you're only looking at the last six weeks or three months of data. Sure. You're not looking at the whole year performance. Sure. So I don't like annual performance reviews. Uh, I told you I like managers that are approachable, an open door policy so anybody can come in at any time. Uh, I talked about the importance of onboarding. The best onboarding I've ever witnessed and seen and been part of was at Spherion, where a new hire went through a passport exercise where they got to learn every function in the company. And they would meet with you, the CEO, they'd meet with your chief operating officer, your CFO, your VP of marketing, your VP of sales, et cetera. And if they knocked on your door yeah. to get the, and they had to get their passport signed, they, you, regardless of what you're doing, could even be with the client. You said, Hey, I got to take time out. This is too important. That's interesting. Yeah. And you would, Tell them five, 10 minutes about what you do and what this department's all about and a little bit about you. You'd learn a little bit about them and you'd sign their passport. Yeah. So I like people that are approachable. I like an open door policy. I think you should minimally have some kind of connection with your employees every week. Yeah. Uh, you should be reviewing performance every month. You should be coaching them on how to get better yeah. and not beating them up on on missing something. Yeah. yeah. You need to you need to figure out ways to motivate and inspire yeah. versus beat somebody up at the end of the day. You know, the word I like to use when I have a person that I'm having difficulty with is the word disappointment. Because I can tell you, nothing resonated more with my colleagues than when I said, Matt, I got to tell you, I'm disappointed in Nobody wants to disappoint anyone. If I start beating them up on the numbers and so forth, didn't resonate. I hit them with that. Kim, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm not going to disappoint you at the end of the day. I get a lot better results and a lot better mileage with that. And I tried to 
coach my other managers to do it. Not everybody got it. That's good. But but I like that term. That's my personal preference. And I like what you said. You're not like beating them over the head with something either. Because I mean, these people they want to do a good job. They're working for you. They're you know they they want to help the organization grow. If they don't, they probably shouldn't be in that position anyway. Well, and and quite frankly, I like leaders yeah. that look at the employee that. The, the people want to do a good job. Yeah. I've seen too many leaders that think just the opposite yeah. and therefore don't get the results that they're, they, they're seeking at the end you of the trust day. Trust the leader, leaders not going to trust no, the I, I concur. That's good. That's good. And then just kind of to close, um, you know, one of the things that I always uh, appreciate and enjoy with our leaders um, is uh, we've all read a ton of different books and it's tough at a certain point to continue to get really good, high quality books and things like that. So I'd love to know, you know, from a leadership book perspective, what are some of your top leadership books that you've read that you would recommend? Yeah, there, you know, I'm a Jim Collins fan. So Jim Collins has some, a recent book out called B 2.0, which is great for entrepreneurs. Good to great oh, is super so great by choice is another good book by Jim. Uh, I also like Tom Peters. Reimagine. I don't know if you've read Reimagine, yeah. or the Four Disciplines of a Highly uh, Effective Execution. Tom Peters is also a, a great speaker at the end, of, or a great writer at the end of the day. So th those are some of the authors. But there's lots and lots of great books yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. But I am a Jim Collins fan. That's good. That's solid. So from a leadership perspective, solid leadership books, guys, to go and check out. What about um, books in general, just books about, and they don't have to be about leadership, they could be, but just in general, what would you say are some well, top books? One, one of the top books right now that's gained a lot of notoriety is Traction. I don't know if you've read Traction. I have, yeah. By uh, Gino Wickman. Yeah. So I would recommend that book. It really gets you to start thinking. Phenomenal. Book. It gets you to start thinking about your business very differently. Yes. Be very disciplined. Be very focused. Yeah. Put in the, put in Structure. The and then slowly go from there. Yeah. And then there's uh, some easy reads like Fish Sticks. I don't know if you read that. That you can read that in probably an hour. Oh, it's sorry. by Stephen Ludden. Okay. And there's another one, Eat the Frog, by Brian Tracy. Again, a quick read. But both of those are good inspirational books at cool. the end of the day. Very so, good. but again, there's a lot of great books. There's too yeah. many to pick from. Yeah. No, very good. And you know, if you're not a great reader, there's also a number of good videos and podcasts out there. Yeah. Jim Collins has a lot of good podcasts. Matter of fact, his most recent one is on uh, uh, Level 5 Leader. Yeah. Uh, there's another one by Mark Robb called Leadership Excellence. As a matter of fact, I use some of those when I'm coaching my, my entrepreneurs and CEOs, yeah. either in a board meeting or one-to-one. Well, hey, I mean, this is great content. Kim, you've given us some phenomenal information here, and I just really appreciate you, you know, spending some time to hang out with us and uh, just appreciate all the stuff that you've done. So, I appreciate the invitation. So thank you. Very cool. All thank right, you, man. Matt. Thank you. Yep. Be well. Well, hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to leave us some feedback, drop us a line on the comment section. If you did enjoy today's content, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. And with that, I look forward to learning with you in the next episode.